thank you, Bill. And uh, thank you, everybody, for organizing this uh, so we can try and limit the number of people here on a, a New Year's Eve and still do the 11 p.m. Uh, start to the, uh, the countdown. And that'll be just some little talk, uh, some chanting, meditation, and then just the uh, chanting the blessing chant just at the turn of midnight. But anyway, for this talk today, uh, it is our New Year's Day. At least, uh, it's already New Year's. Well, not quite yet, New Year's in New Zealand and coming up to New Year's soon in other places as well. And so it's, sometimes we wonder why we do these ceremonies or why we just make a special occasion of a new year and all these other special occasions. Sometimes that people can find it a bit boring if they keep on doing the same thing every day, every week, every year of their life. And so we do have these little uh, stages passing from one uh, stage of life, one stage of the month, one stage of the year to another. We always seem to have this. In Buddhism we always have the, uh, the moon days. And those moon days were really important you know, when I grew up as a Buddhist, uh, as a young monk in Thailand. They were more important than anything else, simply because in that place there was no radio, no newspapers, certainly no internet, you know, no roads, no electricity. And so that the only way you could know, you know what time of the year it was was by looking up into the sky. And uh, if there was no uh, cloud cover, you could tell there was a full moon or a new moon. And you could tell roughly by the time of the year, you know, just what uh, season you were in. And that was a way of telling the time and telling the seasons. And at that time, I must admit, at that, that time, I did not know what year it was. You know what year it was, let alone the month and the day. I'd immerse myself so much in that Buddhist culture of moon days and seasons that nothing else really mattered to me. But of course, coming back to Australia after nine years as a monk in Thailand, it was a, a rude awakening for me to see that now we had to make sure that we knew seasons and months and days. And the reason why it was impressed upon me that I had to know the, the dates and the time of the year it was in the first few months here in Perth. In our former centre, which was in North Perth, in Magnolia Street, a gentleman had an epileptic fit as he came to the temple. And as he had an epileptic fit when he came to the temple there, I called the ambulance and then the ambulance officers very kindly sort of you know, found out who he was and uh, put him in the ambulance and took him to the, the hospital to make sure he was going to be okay. But one thing which they said to him there to, as a way of finding out whether he was healthy or not, they asked him what day of the week it was. He didn't know, so they put him in the ambulance and took him to the hospital. I'm very glad they never asked me, because <laughs> I wouldn't have known as well. <laughs> They'd have taken me away, because it seems that most people should know 
the days of the week. But for me, that was not important. Oh, we've got some lights there. Hey, hope you can see me better. There's not much to see anyway, but nevertheless. So, little by little, you learned how to understand the days and the years as they pass by. And now, of course, we have our New Year's celebration. And a lot of times, it does give us a pause. There's a whole point of even like doing meditation or going on retreats. It allows you to have a pause, a little stopping, so we can just reflect on what we've done and where we are and how far we've come. And that sort of pausing, that stopping, is an important part of our lives. But sometimes people keep going on and on and on and on. They never pause, they never stop. Because they never stop, it's like you wake up one morning and you're, you're an old man or an old woman. And it's gone, has it gone fast? Or is it because you've always been like running through your life and you never have stopped to pause, just to reflect on where you are or how you are. And that's very much what we do on these occasions like a, a New Year's. It's a pausing, it's a halt, it's a wait, time you can just stop. And it's not just stopping to reflect, it's also stopping to realize just what the point of our journey is through these lives. You know, you think so many years you've lived, so many things you have done, how many of those have been really worthwhile and useful. So it's one of the reasons why that at the time of a new year, in the, even the Western tradition, you always had these New Year's resolutions. If you do make a New Year's resolution, the first one you should keep is to make sure if you do make a New Year's resolution, you keep it this time. Because a lot of times people make a resolution, but it's very hard to maintain, to keep. Why is that? Because we get caught up in the busyness, in the race of our life. When you're running downhill very fast, it's very difficult to change your directions. We tend to be creatures of habit. And it's also because of that, just making New Year's resolutions doesn't really work. So instead we have these other ways of dealing with life, which is uh, one of the best things to do, is the holiday idea. A lot of times when people have a holiday, they just use that time just to uh, uh, fix up their house or work on their garden or do more work instead of realizing the holiday the idea came from like a holy day. The idea of holiness was given a spiritual meaning. And I don't mean just going to a church or going to even a temple and just getting more um, indoctrination. Well, the greatest thing which a, a spiritual place can give you is space and time. That space and time is so one can work things out for oneself. One can pause, one can stop, one can be peaceful. And there one can find so many solutions to so many problems. Again, I feel a hypocrite saying this because I'm spending the next 50 minutes just talking. But a lot of times the best teaching of all can be the silence, the peace, the calm, where you know you're accepted. You're accepted, you're welcomed, and you don't have to change. That's what silence and kindness give you. 
at the end of this talk, you know, maybe about quarter to nine, I hope it's possible to have this, to have a few questions. But I remember, recall, just the one time when I didn't have any questions to ask of one of the great monks I knew in Thailand. It was a strange experience because, you know, I spent a lot of time answering questions for people either online or just on these Zoom retreats, or on just ordinary retreats, or people coming, lining up and asking you questions. And sometimes, after all these years being a monk and answering questions and writing those answers down and publishing them in books, it seems to be endless, endless questions to be asked. But then, the only way that real questions can be really answered is in silence. And that was the reason why I'm saying it's great to pause that between this year and the next year, in holidays, in times of our lives, where we can just make it a holy interval. Not an interval where we're doing things. Not even when we're improving things. We're learning how to accept things and love them rather than improve and change them. It's a time where we can stop and be peaceful. And so that we've seen the importance of these things, that when you ask questions, have you ever noticed in your life that one question will lead to another question, which will lead to another question, which will lead to another question, which will lead to another question? Just even recently, just doing a, a Zoom meditation retreat, for um, the Buddhist Fellowship over in Singapore and for the Buddhist Gem Fellowship over in uh, PJ where your friend <laughs> Victor Wee who was really part of that Eddie they used to hang out together when they were young and also to um, Penang group and also to the uh, no, the uh, Bodhinyana International Foundation. I've got to say the whole word, Bodhinyana International Foundation, because if you use the acronym like I use for BF and BGF, it becomes BIF. <laughs> and BIF is a bit too aggressive for a Buddhist society. They're very nice. But anyway, they're in Hong Kong. And all these other groups and so many other places in the world joining in. And the questions were on and on and on. So many questions. And this time I tried just answering them as briefly as I could. And that wasn't really satisfying. So how can you answer those questions? Or am I bringing up this subject on the time of a, of a New Year's Eve quiet talk online? And the reason is, is because when I went to go and see this monk, he was an Ajahn Tate in Himapen, in uh, the borders of Laos and Thailand. He was on the Mekong River. And he was a very a diminutive monk, but he was a very, very wise and also a very kind monk. I first got interested in him because roughly when I first came to Thailand, this monk was in hospital with very bad cancer. 
and he had the best treatment possible. He was one of the very early disciples with uh, Ajahn Mun. So he was a forest monk who was kept in a hospital in Bangkok uh, with the Majesty the King of Thailand paying all the bills and making sure he got the best treatment. But you know, after a while, even the best treatment doesn't work. So they said he's going to die soon. No much point for any more treatment. So his reaction, if you're going to die, you might as well die in your monastery rather than in a hospital. So that's when he went up back to his monastery and he lived another 25 years before he passed away. But also, also this monk, believe it or not, he came to Perth before I came. I don't know how they managed to, to swing this, but there was one of the Buddhists, he was here last week, and he was, um, he was basically in a hippie commune over in Australind. If anyone remember that place, Australind hippie commune there. And they invited him down there for, I think, a, a few days or a week. And this is a really amazing monk, managed to get to Perth, you know, so many years ago. But anyway, he had a reputation, a very good reputation. And so when I went to go and see him, make an appointment to ask my questions, and when I got my appointment, I went into the room. I must have been a monk for about six or seven years by this time. And so when I had my questions to ask him, just one-on-one, -on -one, as much time as I wanted, and what happened was, as soon as he got into the room, he had no questions left. It's like you are blasted by such loving kindness. The loving kindness, the embracing, accepting. Now, when I say the door of my heart's open to you, it means that. Imagine what it can be like, really imagining it full on loving kindness. It meant that the questions had no more meaning and their answers were irrelevant anymore. It was blasting with peace and openness and kindness. And that was such a, a strange experience for me. It was such a strange experience that and I contemplated it such a long time afterwards. Why was that the case? You had your opportunity to ask one of the great monks in the world all these deep questions and the mind was just so peaceful and still in his presence. You realize that that's what all the questions were aiming for. That was what their purpose was for. Not to get a philosophy or a sense of uh, concepts or metaphysics or whatever which you can keep in your mind forevermore. Because those things you forget them. All the words and concepts and relationships you know, the, what I learned uh, as a student you know, doing quantum physics and stuff like that was immense. But it doesn't really make any sense anymore to me. In the sense, it's many ideas, but it's not perfect. There's always things missing. No matter what question you ask, what answer you get, there's always be another question afterwards. The question wasn't perfect, the answer can't be perfect. And there's always something left afterwards. But when you know, you're in the presence of somebody who is, as far as I was concerned, you know, he was a real deal, and you listen to them, or just even don't listen to them, just be with them, 
There's something which carries over from one person to another. There's peace, there's silence. And that by itself is where you, you learn and see so much. I've often said this, when people are thinking, or they are just contemplating what has just been said, what you've just read, or what you've just seen, you keep contemplating that, it disturbs the mind from seeing deeper. It's one of the reasons why in silence you see deeply. And for those of you who want to check me out, Samadhi Pachya Yatabhutayana Dasana. Okay, I'm showing off now. Just Pali for dependent origination. Well, yeah, it's, it is kind of dependent origination, but it's a little bit uh, outside of the usual form of dependent origination. This is from stillness. It's a cause for seeing things as they truly are. It doesn't mean it gives you the, the ideas. The stillness gives you the clarity. So that you know, there's nothing between you and the truth. There's nothing which is obstructing or uh, distorting what you're seeing. Everything is perfectly still. And of course, that great metaphor of the still forest pool or the lake in the mountains, whichever you call it. It's a very old simile in many traditions. And I was... I always thought it was a Theravada tradition, but I do remember this um, Korean monk, senior Korean Jokchen order monk, who um, was up there on the stage. I was going to speak afterwards, and that's the simile which he gave. If you go to the, the mountain up, go to the mountain, and there's a lake up in the mountains, and that lake is perfectly still. And you can see a pure reflection, accurate reflection of the moon and the stars in the heavens above. Only when there's stillness there. It's in that stillness you see things, you feel things, you know things. When that stillness is, is disturbed, when there are waves on that lake, of course what happens is everything gets distorted. And when it gets distorted, you don't really see what's there. You just see a, a incomplete, uh, unclear image of the heavens. But when it's perfectly still, then you can see very deeply into things. So that was actually the gift which that monk gave me just for that half an hour. Stillness. He was so still, it's like you resonate with that stillness. And to this day, there's so many places in the world, and for now it's like in places like Bodhinyana Monastery, Ravinjana Grove, and places which are really, really peaceful and still. And you can find a still place where nothing is moving, where nothing is challenging you. Then in that still place, that sometimes you get so calm, so peaceful, you like resonate with it. You become more and more, and more still. It's one of the reasons also why that many of you who come over to uh, Bodhinyana Monastery and go in the main hall in Bodhinyana Monastery, it's a lot of really good meditation has gone on in that hall. And you've got some great teachers that have been there sitting, teaching. And also, you've got these, these relics over there. Please go. Uh, put down relics because some of these relics you can feel they've got power 
And so some of these places, you can feel this very strong stillness there. And so often this happens, you don't have to tell people, they feel it, they come tell me. You go and try meditating in the front of the hall at Bodhinyana Monastery, that's powerful. So often when people try to meditate uh, on Jhana Grove on retreats, Jhana Grove is getting stronger in the main hall, the Jhana Grove, but still hasn't got the same oomph and power as the front of the building in Bodhinyana Monastery. And so many other people have felt that. There was the... I didn't see this myself because I was... I'm always somewhere else, it seems these days, teaching over here or teaching overseas or doing something. But one of the, uh, the long-term members of the Buddhist Society in Western Australia invited a, a Feng Shui master over to check out our monastery. And apparently, and I had no reason to doubt the person who told me this story, he was blown away by the power in Bodhinyana Monastery, especially in that main hall, especially in the front of that main hall. It was electric, powerful, really. And so many people find it easy to meditate there. What do I mean easy to meditate? I mean they find they can resonate with the stillness, with the calm, with the safety, with the loving kindness there. It feels safe, it feels easy to let go and be peaceful. And that's actually what I felt in the in the company of that monk. It was still. And all those questions and I I'd written them down before. Honestly, I'd actually written down some questions for a change. And I was thinking of some more to add when I was waiting for my appointment with him. But they all vanished and disappeared. And this is where we actually can stop on times like these these intervals of holy days or the intervals of the time of New Year. gives a chance to stop our journey Turn around, look how far we've come. Now look, hopefully you don't need to go any further. Right here is all the wisdom and peace you need. So in this path of spiritual wisdom, it's not a question of getting more knowledge, more experience, more wisdom. It's very much recognizing where you already are. This is one of the reasons why it's great to stop for a little while or we have an opportunity of like a new year. A time when we don't have to work, we don't have to do things, we can actually stop, be at peace and find out where we are right now. You find it's way, way better than you could ever expect. That's why one of the other little concepts which I developed and I talked about during the, the Zoom retreat which I gave over to the, the groups associated with, associated with us in uh, Southeast Asia, that the in-between moments of life, it's a nice concept and I do recall so developing the concept of the in-between moments of life 
because so often I found myself just uh, traveling from place to place to give a talk. I don't just give talks. It takes hours before you get there. The preparation beforehand, if you do any preparation. But most of the right time of my life, I'm not productive at all. I'm not giving a talk. I'm not writing a book. I'm not teaching people or answering questions. I've left one appointment and on the way to another appointment. And I noticed that much of my life was spent in between things. On journeys, I spent so much one hour or more from here to Bodhinyana Monastery and Bodhinyana Monastery back again. How much time I spend in those cars? How do you spend that time? The in-between moments of your life you left one place, you haven't arrived at the destination yet. These are opportunities for peace, opportunities for stillness, opportunities just to be here, relax and rest. So that's one of the reasons why that we're in between years right now. Some places have already turned over to 2022. We're still in 2021. And there's some backward countries like the United States. They won't be in 2022 for another 12 hours yet. <laughs> I'm only joking. Please don't send the missile to me. But nevertheless, the, the idea of taking time out when there is the opportunity to stop to reflect. And one of the reasons why, uh, as a Buddhist, Sometimes it's great to spend time by yourself in solitude. Because when you're by yourself, a lot of times that you don't need to have these conversational videos or, or emails or WhatsApp or WhatsApp or whatever. What's it called? I don't know. I don't know that. Or Facebook or whatever. Even as a monk, you know, believe it or not, I still do lots, but still I haven't got any idea. I, I think I have got a Facebook page, but I've never seen it. <laughs> I haven't got a clue what it does. I haven't got a what's, is it WhatsApp or WhatsApp page? Okay, well, I haven't got one anyway. But all of these things, why do people always want to connect overly instead of have solitude? At the time of a new year, any thing spiritual should be when you you stand back a little bit. You actually remove yourself from the busyness of life. When you can go inside rather than go outside to another person, go inside and find out what's happening inside your own body, inside your own mind. That little part of going inwards, going inwards and taking the opportunity to have that path. It's amazing just how much one can see in the in-between moments of our lives to be able to have a time of retreat, to be able to have a time of just personal peace and quiet, a time when you can just find out where you are, who you are, what you're doing. You know that somebody, I was just remembering somebody who used to be here years and years ago, a very nice guy, and he was telling me that once he got married, but for years and years and years he was very busy working hard, 
making enough money to sort of get a nice place to live, and then kids came along. And after kids came along, this was more work and more busyness. And eventually the children, you know, they got married, got their own careers and left home. And then just the two of the, the husband and wife now living at home alone. He said it was a shock for him. Now he could actually find out who his wife really was. Now she wasn't a bad girl, she was a very nice lady. But it was a surprise for 25 years since they married. They were putting all their time looking after, making money or getting enough uh, support for their kids and getting them a good education. You know what happens when you stop and you have time, you're not really rushing. You have time to see. The lovely simile of that, which I always teach on retreats, but I very rarely teach here, that Nonamala Center, was that story of all those years now I've lived at Bodhinyana Monastery. That's 38 years now we've been there. And for the first seven years of living in Bodhinyana Monastery, I'd always go up and down that hill in a car. And then there was one day, which I recall, it was like a spring day. So I came back early enough from, I don't know what I was doing the evening before, came back early enough that I could, um, I told the driver, please let me out of the bottom of the hill, I want to walk up. Now you know you all tell me I should have some more exercise, but it's very difficult for me to have exercise because many people, well they will not let me out of the car. I said, no, I've got to drive you up. But those days I wasn't so well known, and so it's much easier for me to get that exercise. So I walked up that hill by myself. It's only half an hour, 45 minutes, not that far. But anyway, I do remember taking a bit extra time. Because in those seven years, up and down that hill, I always thought I knew it so well. But this time, because I walked in solitude, not fast, I had time. I couldn't recognize it at all. As I looked at the valley, it was more interesting than I'd ever thought. I could see more rocks, more of the stream in that bottom of that valley of Kingsby Drive. I could see so many plants and trees and rock outcrops. It was delightful. And I couldn't recognize it. And so I stopped. I stopped and just stood and stared at it. When I stopped and stood, I could see so much more. And it was absolutely amazingly beautiful. And I wondered just how come I'd missed all of that over seven years of living there. And... I usually look at things in a science uh, perspective and the explanation which I gave myself, which I think was fair, was that when you look through the window of a car travelling at maybe 80 kilometres an hour going up that hill or going down that hill, you look through the window of a car and the light which hits the back of your eyes 
doesn't have the time to to finish making a full image and then another image comes up, dislodges the first and then another image comes up and then another and then another and then another, one after the other, so fast. But, instead of uh, looking through the window of a car 80 kilometers an hour, if you just look as you're walking up, much slower, and what you see as you're walking up that hill, the image, the light goes to the back of your eye, onto the retina, and after it's got onto the back of the eye, it's, uh, it has time to form an image, and the color is much richer, and also the brain has more time to explore it. The slower you walk, the more you see. And so after a while, when you stopped, you saw so much more, and it was so much deeper and so much more beautiful. What I really struck me was how beautiful that um, image was, and how much how I'd see things I'd never seen before. It's a simile of like stopping, being still, and you see so much more. You understand so much more, and it's also much more beautiful. So this is little by little, just how we use these different ways of stopping when we have a holy day, when we have a bit of time off, where we can actually stop and really see and understand who we are and understand who the people we live with are. And you'll be quite surprised. The person you've committed to in life, your partner, is actually much more beautiful than you ever expected. You can see much more depth in them. But also you can see more depth in yourself. And more beauty, more things you can be happy with. And this is leading to one of the main points of this talk. That you see that many people in our world today just are much more depressed than I would say were at this time last year, hit by COVID, hit by not being able to go where we want to, hit by all these extra restrictions, hit by even fear, how long is this going to last? It's amazing, because even West Australia is not as bad, but talking to people overseas in other countries, it's incredible just how restricted life is for them. And because of that, is how difficult it is for them. And it's just worn them out. And there's joie de vivre, it's a beautiful French word, and the joy of life is not just as there as it used to be. But how can we get that happiness, that joie de vivre, the appreciation, back into our lives? So we're, we're more smiley, more jolly, more happy with our life. And the way, one way of doing that is actually not just to to go out looking for it outside of ourselves. Look for that inside of ourselves, in who we are, and how we are, what we are. Little by little, to take a time of peace and stillness, and in that stillness, to take the time to appreciate yourself, to open the door of your heart to yourself, and how wonderful this is inside as you do that more and more and more, you do actually find out that you you lift up. Your happiness gets stronger and stronger. 
and it's one of the reasons why you can be far more peaceful. You take time off and you do actually learn how far you've come in life. This great journey of life, many tragedies in the last year, I don't know, many things happen, but there is also many beautiful things happen as well. Many wonderful events in your life. And to this day, I just don't know why people always tend to focus on the, the negative side of life instead of the positive side of life. But little by little, we learn just how to have that stillness, get to know that stillness, be at ease in that stillness. Right now, you don't have to go anywhere, you don't have to do anything, just right inside. And there you can find a huge amount of peace and happiness, meaning and wisdom in your life. Being kind, being compassionate. The most important thing to be kind and compassionate, the most important being to be kind and compassionate to is yourself. The most important time to be compassionate to is right now. Allow this moment to open up. And any time you have a holiday, please treat it as a holy day. A time when you can just appreciate the opportunities where the time in between gives you. You can appreciate just where you are. Where do you want to be in life? Here. Here right now. When you're happy to be here. When this is good enough for me. You don't need to be anywhere else. The shops are closed. Because of COVID, what else is it closed? A lot of our stuff is closed. Wonderful, isn't it? So many things are closed, you can't go and do other things. Now, one of the reasons why I started off this New Year's Eve party, now, it says it's supposed to be a surprise party, isn't it? So, that's what we have down there, it's a surprise. Nothing's happening. Sometimes we cancel. There's still people coming, crikey, surprising them. But anyway, so it's, it's cancelled. But nevertheless, sort of, it was, I did also read that the um, pubs have been closed, the nightclubs have been closed, so I don't need a special party now. <laughs> the government's done it for me, kept you sober and happy, but it's an opportunity, please make use of it, to come here and have some peace and quiet. To learn to go more slowly through the, the day, through the evening. Soon, you'll have, <laughs> soon, it's the next door they're going, the wrong doors. No one over there. <laughs> soon. Soon we're going to, um, be back at work again. Soon, Ajahn Brown will be travelling again. Soon, we'll have all the questions again. Soon, there'll be more work again. Soon you'll have to go back to work again. Soon it'll be cold again. That's the other thing. I don't know why people do this. You know, sometimes they complain when it's hot. The same people who complain when it's hot complain when it's cold. I always thought that somewhere in this world we could find... No, this is maybe too hot a land. But maybe somewhere in this world between the north and the south 
we could find us a perfect place to live. Not hot, not cold, but just right all the time. There are places like that. Not too hot, not too cold. But the mosquitoes found them first. <laughs> so buzz, buzz, buzz all the time. There's no such place which is totally just right. Except if we make it right. How we make it right is just one of these little quotes which I haven't said this year yet. Buddhist climate control. Do you know Buddhist climate control? When it's hot, keep a cool head. When it's hot and it's cold, keep a warm heart. That's called Buddhist climate control. In other words, stop complaining, make the best of it, learn how to be peaceful no matter what is happening. How you get to end all the questions. Right now, be peaceful with this moment. It's just like the universe is always giving us the answers. Especially someone like Ajahn Chah would always say, all of his teachings, he got more of his teachings from the from nature than anything else. Just seeing just the way that the world worked. What does he expect? Things change and disappear. Sicknesses come and go. We don't get what we want. But a lot of times we get what we need. What we need to teach us how to let go. The money is not so important. What's important is our, our spiritual wisdom and kindness. A kind person is far more safe and powerful than a wealthy person. Is that kindness is the best. And lastly, uh, on the sake of generosity and wisdom, oh, just... I was going to tell the story of that farmer who broke down in the middle of traffic. Sorry, no, not in the middle of traffic. Uh, the uh, tourist in the north of California who broke down. Not in uh, busy traffic, sorry. This was breaking down in some of the more remote parts of northern California. And he couldn't fix his car. And then when he managed to get, uh, he tried everything but couldn't fix it. There's no mobile coverage. He had a mobile phone there. He was quite tech savvy, the, the driver of the car, but he couldn't fix his car. And a farmer came by and the farmer fixed his car for him. A simple thing because farmers have to know that because there's no one else to fix the car for the farmers. So the farmer fixed his car. They shook and they left. Thank you very much, said the driver. And it was just a few a few weeks later that the farmer, he had a letter from his bank saying that all the debts for his farm had been paid off. And for his equipment, and a, quite a large sum of money had been deposited to his credit in the bank. Because the, the driver of that car had broken down was apparently Bill Gates. You know that sort of wealthy people, sometimes, are famous people, they like just to go 
and travel somewhere just by themselves to get away from, you know, people always thinking, oh, that's Bill Gates, oh, Bill Gates, what do you want? And always asking questions. He said he was just traveling by himself, as sometimes people do. And because he was doing that, and broke down. He didn't need to ask for the farmer's bank details. He just took the number of his of the farmer's car and used his contacts. Perhaps he could give a large sum of money to that farmer. So this evening, this evening, if you pass somebody broken down, who knows? It could be um, Holmes of Court. I think it is just down the road from Monastery. What's her name again, T? Janet Holmes of Court, yeah. She's the richest woman in, in the world, in Australia. It could be uh, Bill Gates. Oh, it could be Bill Gates. Twiggy Forest? Who else could it be? <laughs> Gina Reinhardt? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> if you can fix her car up, I'll give her a lift. Or do something. But little by little, that you know, we learn just how powerful is kindness. And that kindness is when you break down. You know, it can't travel anymore. Your car doesn't work, even if you're Bill Gates. And you can just be peaceful, be still. See what happens. In those times when we think, you know, we can't go anywhere, it's an in-between moment. The in-between moments of our life are sometimes the best. You left one place. You haven't arrived. You're in between. That's mostly our lives. And see if we can use those to stop. And let nature teach us. The nature is talking to us all the time. I don't mean like words, like, like voices in your head. Because there's so much we can see and hear and feel. If you can stop and listen to the wisdom of life. Okay, that's a little talk just for uh, the YouTube to the empty hall. <laughs> I don't mind, there's quite a few people that are here this evening. That is fine, the main reason it's fine is because the purpose of trying to limit the numbers here is to limit the um, the contact between us, just to make sure that you're all healthy for 2022. So, have we got any questions or comments from the uh, people overseas? Or over here or somewhere? Yes, good, thank you. Very good. From USA, from Jesse in somewhere, USA, Germany, and Adil. Dear Ajahn, a family member is so self-absorbed, how can you help someone who thinks he knows everything and trust to control others? Do you know people like that? Who think they know everything? <laughs> it depends, actually, the position in their family. If they're like a patriarch of the family, or if they're sometimes old, sometimes it's nice, they say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, in other words, don't upset them in their old age. But after a while, you can they can say something, and then, 
when they're out of the room, you can go back and do the, the logical, reasonable, kind things to do afterwards. So you don't have to do what they say. You just listen to them. They try to control others. No one can control you, control you if you don't let them. There was, oh, I think, Ajahn Bamadi will, he will forgive me for this one, but the other day when we were doing this retreat, I was doing it together with Ajahn Bamadi, and I logged in earlier, uh, ten minutes earlier, and he was still doing his session. He was doing some questions and answers to the group over in Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong. And his uh, question that was being asked is, you, I hear you've said that you can manipulate Ajahn Brahm. How do you do that? <laughs> and I listened to that, and afterwards when I came on, I said, Ajahn Bamali. <laughs> I was listening when you said that. <laughs> but anyway, that was just some fun. So, you think you know everything, and you try to control others. It's, why is there people doing that? Sometimes, again, they don't have enough wisdom and enough kindness themselves. They always have to be right. And, of course, they never are. Sometimes they are, but not very often. One of the reasons why, uh, that there was the story of the two monks who were arguing, arguing over, you know, the truth of rebirth, reincarnation. One said it's really important. The other one said it wasn't important. You've got to live in the present moment. You're not dead yet. And so they had this argument. So they went to see the the Ajahn, the boss. And the first one went in there and said, Rebirth is really important. It's part of Buddhism. And they quoted the suttas. And they, the Ajahn said, yeah, that's right. He went in and told his friend. He said, and the boss said, I was right. And then... The other monk, when he can't have said you're right, this is about present moment awareness. How do you know you haven't died yet? So he went in there and told the other monk, and the head monk said, "Oh yeah, that's right." And he lived in the present moment. So the two monks had got contradictory advice from the head monk, and so they said, "We better go in there together and find out." You said that I was right, and then you said that he was right. You can't both be right. And the head monk said, yeah, that's right. In other words, when you think that you self-absorb, you think you know everything and try to control others, that is obviously the sign of a, a fool. You can't control others. Even, I remember one of those monks, a good friend of mine, long time ago, that's uh, Ajahn Liam, who took over Wat Bapong from Ajahn Chah. And I asked him, said, how is it now you've taken over from Ajahn Chah? Is it easy to teach the monks of Wat Bapong? And there are thousands of monks in that tradition. He said, oh yeah, it's really easy to teach them. How do you do that? And Ajahn Liam said, oh, when they want to go this way, I let them go that way. When they want to go the other way, I let them go the other way. They're so easy to teach. And that was a very powerful monk said that. It's easy. You don't try and control. You inspire them. So, obviously that family member is not really inspiring anybody. So, how can you help someone who thinks you know everything and tries to control others? 
You can't control others. You can't even control himself. How can you help them? Just give them kindness. Don't argue. But see if you can say something which is more powerful. They can see that for themselves. This is from Jesse. My luck has been bad for the past few years. Business is bad. Health is poor. My apartment construction has been delayed for more than a year. Lousy no, but you have a new advice. Pretty normal, isn't it? <laughs> no. Sometimes, if 2021 was really bad, then 2022 can't be any worse. You must be looking up. So, was it really bad? Yeah, bad luck. Palm construction will be delayed for more than a year. Lousy neighbour, do you have any... How, how about going to see your neighbour? If they're a lousy neighbour, they must be just really un, unhappy. See if you can send your lousy neighbour a New Year's card if you still got the time. Just give them a call or just put a, a note down there and say, Happy New Year. You know, that's one of the things which I remember years and years ago, for those who remember, we were just having problems with clay trucks past our monastery. Really heavy noise and they're very dangerous too. One of them turned over on Kingsby Drive. A big BW, a big truck on the back just went on its side. It lost control. But anyway... That Ajahn Sujata said it's Christmas time now, so he sent a Christmas card to, you know, the people who were fighting us in court. I thought that's really great emotional intelligence. People who didn't like us, people who were actually fighting us. He sent him a Merry Christmas card. Why not? So anyway, the luck has been bad for the past few years. See if you can change it. You change it. It's not luck. Business is bad, health is poor, my apartment is supposed to be delayed. Just come and get an uplift with good people around you. Like Buddhist Society West Australia. From USA, I just recognised the attachment and pride I have in my identity of being a mother. 31 years now, I want to abandon this attachment. Some advice for renunciation. It's obviously that when you... Oh, Mother, it's not just about you, it's about your kids as well. Remember, it's all about us, not about one person in the family. So, that attachment to you, you find out that, you know, the family grows and changes. Parts just go off to another part of the world even, and just, they grow their own family over there. So, little by little, your attachment to parts of the family, you find it, you have your service, your care to parts of the family, but eventually you let them go. You have to. So, attachment and pride. Oh my goodness, how many questions are there? Okay. Um, for renunciation, it's just uh, the greatest act of love, if as a mother, or as a father, or as a brother or sister, the greatest act of love is always to let go. To free them. If you get so much into stillness, how do you manage to be aware of that stillness? <laughs> How can you keep up your mindfulness? Is that possible? Thank you kindly. The stillness enhances mindfulness. The stillness is great mindfulness. The, the most powerful mindfulness you can ever have is the fourth jhana. That's incredibly still. Your mindfulness is oh, incredible powerful. 
that's the purity of mindfulness, the parisuddhi, the purity of mindfulness. So the more still you are, the more your mindfulness is powerful. That's the simile again of the looking at Kingsbury Drive, the, the valley down below. When you're not still, you only see part of it, even though you're mindful, but what you actually see is going too fast. When you slow down, you see more. When you're really still, you stop, you see everything. So your mindfulness is what grows in stillness. So stillness enhances mindfulness. How do we aware of that stillness? The awareness grows by itself. My mum has dementia. My dad takes care of her with lots of love and patience. But I feel he's taken the toll of that care. He doesn't want help. How can I help them? Yes, sometimes you may not want help, but you give him help. And sometimes when he appreciates that, little by little, he knows his mum is being well taken care of. Or his, uh, if you can, your mum's dementia, you can look after uh, your mum. With like dementia, I do remember uh, the saying, that this son went to see his mum almost every day before he went to work. And the people in the other uh, ward told the son, well, you don't need to come every day. You know, by the afternoon, she cannot remember you've been. And so she doesn't know you've been or not. And the son said, that is true, but I know whether I've been or not today to see my demented mum. And that's most important. Your dad takes care of her with lots of love and patience. But I think that uh, you, know, you can volunteer to help. To also serve, which is a wonderful thing to do. How can you help them? You just go and help. My mum, as well as her, his wife. And how much you can help each other. How can we bring comfort to our family members suffering grief from loss when our belief systems differ so vastly. They often feel the Buddhist approach is insensitive. Sometimes you may feel it's insensitive, but if you can actually see the care and the love, but it's without the tears. You have to cry with sadness to show that you love somebody. I say those beautiful acts are not sensitive. Actually, to see the beauty when two people are very old, and one of them just gets on and tells the other person, look, so if you can go whenever you need to die, that's fine. But go with my permission. I won't keep you here. I love you. Let go. I don't want you to be in this body. I'm suffering so much. So I don't think it's fair to call it insensitive. But remember, if you come from another religion, another philosophy, another sort of uh, another sort of uh, religion, another spirituality. Please remember, you always interpret it you know, from your um, perspective. And so if it's from your perspective, sometimes we often just distort the truth to suit, our, suit us. But after a while, people will see. Now, if you if grieve from loss, if you are um, insensitive, you can see that you don't even visit at all. You don't actually contribute anything positive. Too many tears. Too much fear, too much pain, or not enough love. You have to let one another go. 
But why can't we express that? One of the most loving things to do. It's not insensitive at all. I'm always very lazy. I always postpone tasks until it gets piled up at work. I determine something, it gets changed the next day. Kindly advise on this matter. Is that from here or is it from the BSWA? <laughs> How many of you, even if you work really, really, really hard, you're not lazy. You know, you don't postpone tasks until it gets piled up at work, but it still gets piled up anyway. I notice that the harder you work, the people think, oh, he's very efficient, that guy. So they give you more work to do. And that's the best way to get things done, by giving it to a busy person. So instead of that, I don't know if you're really lazy, sometimes we're always down on ourselves. Postpone tasks. Make sure you do the most important tasks, the most valuable tasks. But in our today's world, you'll never finish things. you never get all the tasks done off your desk. So you have to just give priority to what's really important in life. And sometimes you just, you can't do it. How can we see the situation where others don't like the decisions which we make, impacting, impacting them, such as separation or choosing not to live with family members? To what extent should we be considerate of others' feelings and impact on their lives while doing what is true for us? Again, that's the balance which you have to find. But remember, what you do will always affect others, and sometimes what you do will hurt others. But in the long term, it may be better for them, and better for yourself as well. So often it happens in life that you know, people will marry somebody they, you know, the family don't approve of. But after a while, if they, you know, if you don't marry that person, then what happens is you really suffer a lot. So, now sometimes I don't know why it is that other family members don't give uh, you more freedom. Uh, if it's separation, separation is only temporary. And they come back again afterwards. It's one of the things which when, say, somebody wants to become a monk, and, you know, the mother said, oh, you can't become a monk, I need you. And I know, why didn't you go get married or do something like that? I said, no, no, just tell them, tell your mum, that for most people who want to become monks, especially for monks, after a while, they sort of, well, how many actually people this world want to become monks? So look, the chances are it's temporary. I tell them that. And I said, really, yeah, oh, a lot of monks, they don't make it. Oh, really? Yeah, not just that. If they do ordain as a monk, and then they eventually disrobe, then afterwards, actually, they become really, really good husbands and really good good sons and daughters to their parents. You know, they get trained in Bodhinyana Monastery, on how to wash up, how to cook, how to be obedient to the senior monks. They learn so much about it. It's like a, like a good husband training center. And so I say things like that, and the mother saying, oh, 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 okay, I didn't become a monk. I was saying with the nun, and after a while, when the family members see just how beautiful it is to have uh, a monk in the family, they say, oh, wonderful thing you've done. Remember, even the, the Buddha's father, 
never liked the idea of the Buddha going away. So you see the situation where others don't like the decision you make. It impacted the Buddha's family. He didn't live with his family members. But a wonderful gift which he gave to his family. So remember, you can't please everybody. See if you can lessen the impact you have you know, on your, your decisions make on others. But in the end, it has to be your decision. You have to let other people make that decision for your uh, for you. You can't be controlled by others. You have to respect others. It's like when people actually say, just know why is it? Why did you do such a thing? And you say that you balance. It's like when you make a decision, you know it's going to affect others. You have to put their ideas, their views in the balance with your own ideas and views and see just know which way that balance tilts. In the Asian tradition, we're always told to give like respect to parents and elders. And the word for respect is called garu. It means heavy. In other words, some of your family members' ideas should count heavily when you weigh up what you want and what they want, and what decision they recommend, what decision you think is the right one. You balance those. You find out which one it comes. The heaviest. It's not always your parents. But you do it, you consider them. A lot of times again, say in a monastery, you always make sure, I always make sure, that every monk is asked how they feel. So now when all the people, all the stakeholders in the decisions are consulted, even if what they say is not accepted, at least they've been asked. And that is a much better way of a decision making. At least they've been involved. What they said was thought about. Okay, anyway, uh, that's the end of the questions online over here. So any questions from the floor? Eddie, first of all? Yeah. Eddie in the front? Oh, yeah. Oh, in the back. Yeah. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Ajahn Brahm, you're talking about calm and peace? Yeah. You know, the other day, I was reading an article, you know, that there's a marked increase in people having mental disorders and also suicides, you know. Yeah. So from my, I mean, point of view, I blame a lot on certain politicians, you know, okay? They, 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 they beat up drums of war, you know, okay? Instead of peace, you know, okay? And also, don't you think there's a growing number of press now? You know, I, I, I believe they are funded, okay? That stir up things, you know? Stir up things, you know, not to make, yeah, 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 okay, just, yeah. Luckily, for me, when I read certain, like that, hear certain prayers, you know, luckily I think, oh, I'm a Buddhist, I know how to calm myself down, you know, okay? But how about those people, you know, who hear all these things, you know? Yeah, so what do you think? Uh, in, indeed, that, uh, sometimes it's good information, bad information, but after a while, how do you know what is 
accurate information, what is an accurate information. And that's one of the problems of our modern age. And it's one of the, should be one of the worst crimes or sins or ethical misconduct, you know, is to deceive people, to lie. And that's one of the things which the Buddha told his son, that's the worst thing to do, is to not tell the truth. And unfortunately the media, or information, sometimes, we can't trust. These days, who can you trust? Yeah. But anyway, because of that, because of that, that's one of the reasons why that if you can feel what is ethically right, feel what is spiritually right inside of yourself, and, and again, listen to nature, as Ajahn Chah was saying, and learn to be calm and peaceful so these things don't upset you or make your life more difficult. And they see you being a calm, peaceful, pe- calm, peaceful, kind person as well. And just seeing that rather than trying to discuss it and talk about it. Just being an example rather than spreading other ideas is sometimes one of the best. Okay, the question back. Um, My name's uh, Richard. Hello, Ajahn Brown. Um, You made a comment um, before during your talk uh, about the United States um, being backward. Um, In what way do you consider or ways do you consider the U.S. to be backward? And in those ways that you consider the U.S. to be backward, how do you consider China? Is China more or less backward than the United States? Thank you. Okay. The only reason I said backwards was because it is backward in the time, in the sense it's about, was it, 12 hours different than us. But as far as the the political situation is concerned, that's something which the reason I don't comment on is because sometimes that just raises people's temperatures and it's sometimes, there's no such thing as the United States or China in that sense. All these places are groups of people. Even Australia, what's Australia? Australia is so many hundreds, thousands, millions of people. So, the idea of fixed, this is United States, this is China, this is Australia. This is just, you know, if you have a look, you see these areas with lines surrounding them, boundaries, and thinking that's a thing. The countries are just like concepts. It's things which we put up to our minds. We try and defend but I've known lots and lots of politicians and you notice that how they are um, portrayed in the newspapers, countries, how they're portrayed in other countries. Now to start a conflict, we have to somehow begin by thinking those people are different than us. We are more superior than they are. When I mention the word backward, it's almost like a little joke and I did mention that afterwards. This is backward in the sense that it's they're going to experience New Year's Day just 12 hours after we do. That's all. Something simple. 
something which is quite banal, nothing to be exaggerated upon. As far as China is concerned, at least uh, Hong Kong, I think it's one hour different than us. Not same. Same, okay. So, that part of China is the same time zone as us. Yeah, over there in the corner. <laughs> so my first question is, um, you know the Tripitakaya? Yeah. That's the Buddhist Bible or Trivalent. Mm. Is there an English version of that that I could find to read? Yes, there is. You can go on a place like Suta Central if you wish. And it's in English? It's in English. Oh, great. It's Thank also in Sri Lankan. It's in Polish. It's in whatever language you wish. Okay, I'll look that one up. My um, other question is, you know the story about Angulimala? Yes. So he was a person who did lots of, you know, he killed a lot of people, but he met Buddha and listened to the Dharma, and then he was able to become Nirvana. Yes. So, so if someone like that can become Nirvana, then... Can people like us, or what's the pathway without going through becoming a monk? Is there a pathway for lay people to achieve nirvana? Or is that too difficult? Yes, there's a pathway where you can become fully enlightened. Uh, you don't have to engage upon the pathway of being a serial killer. That works for a Gurimara, but it's not really recommended for you. But it's a lot of hard work. It's very difficult. The usual answer, which makes it very clear, is that can you walk from here to Sydney? Is that recommended? Or would it be better to go in a car or get an aircraft or something? So that's one of the reasons why the Buddha established the Sangha for monks and nuns in order that it makes the path of enlightenment more easy, especially because the path of enlightenment is about renunciation. Letting go of stuff. It's hard to let go of stuff in the world as a lay person. So little, it's, what the world is not made for that. Do you remember that old story of when I went to get, I don't know why I did this, to get uh, a Commonwealth elderly people's healthcare card? Because I was, I think, 69 at the time. You can do, why not? I thought it was just going online and just pressing a few buttons and you get your healthcare card. They said, no, identity fraud. You need to come in to the office and have a face-to-face interview and also to show your, um, what is it called, your ID documents. He said, okay. So I went in there and then they asked, you know, can you prove who you are? And being Ajahn Brahm, I said, well, you know, I've been trying to find the answer to that question for the last 30 <laughs> They didn't see the joke. They said, look, we're serious. We need some ID. 
and so they suggested what's possible, driving license. I'm a monk, you don't have driving license as a monk. They say, well, let's see your credit card. I don't have a credit card. Let's see your... I didn't see that. I've been asked for a Facebook account because I don't know it anyway. Well, do you have your your rental ap- approval or your rental certificate or your house ownership or your... One of the things they asked, which I just burst out laughing, your marriage certificate. And so I'm not married. And all the things which define you as a human being in this world must not have. It's really weird. And you know, they said, well, you know, in our system you don't exist. And I said, wow, the Buddha was right. <laughs> Do you exist? Who are you? It's not just a name. It's just, you know, what defines you. So little by little, it's hard to let those things go. Sometimes you may be called up to go to a jury service. What are you going to do now? Going to jury service as a month is impossible. You have to make some of these decisions about another person. So when you actually tell people you're a monk, you can't do that. So little by little, you find that there is a very fundamental difference between people who have renounced the world to people who are still in the world. So if you really want to get fully enlightened, the best way is on Buddha Air, like going over to Sydney or any other place. That's why the Buddha set this up. And if you can't do it now, do it later. Before you pass away. It's one of those stories of this man, he he listened to a Dharma talk in Burma a long time ago. And he was uh, just a poor farmer. And so what he did, he really wanted to become enlightened understand what it was and do it. So what he did was he worked really extra hard and he saved up extra money just farming over in Burma. And then he soon his kids gave him a good education. His wife made sure she had enough money she would never starve and asked permission of his family. Can he now go forth as a monk? They let him go forth as a monk because they were fine now. He'd actually hadn't been um, selfish. He'd made sure they had enough for themselves. When he made that decision, it was only a couple of years and he became fully enlightened. He was just so powerfully focused on that. And he did everything right. He was caring for his family and for his duties as a head of the family. He did that. And afterwards he became fully enlightened. Does that make any sense to you? Okay. Okay. Now this was only supposed to be a talk on YouTube, on online. We weren't supposed to have much of an audience here. I did expect some questions online, but not from the people here. <laughs> so never mind, but that's part of life.
So now I'm going to finish off the talk. I do the usual Bhutan Salamanca Chami, which you can join into. Then we have an hour and a half break, hour and 40 minutes. Now those of you who do want to come for the 11 o'clock meeting, then you are most welcome. That's 11 p.m. as we bring up the time into the, uh, the new year. Yes, you have to wear the masks. I'm talking at the moment, so I have to. You have to wear the mask if you want to come this evening. Very good.